listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Let's read here in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse, uh, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for, um, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is shep- the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And, and, he sent them to and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you now and uh, we have read your word. And I pray that what happened to these wise men so many years ago would happen to us again. That upon the study of your word and upon great faith, that meant great determination and great sacrifice, they found you, Jesus. And they worshiped. And their lives were changed and and transformed because they found the Christ. What faith, what sacrifice. And God, I pray that that same would be found here in this room today. That wherever each person is at here, we would take your word, we would apply it to our lives here today and be changed and transformed. Do that work in us so that we would have that experience of exceedingly great joy this Christmas season and for 2016 until the rest of our lives, until we see you face to face. And there it will be an eternity of joy when we find you, Jesus. Bless your word as it goes forth in Harvest Kids today as they spend time in the Christmas story. God, we just thank you that your word is alive and it will speak. May we have ears to hear, hearts that are transformed, and lives that are willing to live out your truths today. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So as we continue on here, 
We're going to get into the passage, and and as we see this passage, and one of the things we love to do at Harvest Bible Chapel here is we love to go through God's word line by line and, and, and go through this story. And, and I've already read this story. Now we're going to see the truths that we can see from it. And the first of all that we see here, I encourage you to write this down, the gospel is for all. We see this in verse 1. And our response to the gospel and the gospel being for all of us is to share it. We are to share it because the gospel is for all. It says in verse 1 that they came from the east. And, and where in the east, we're not exactly sure. Here's a bit of a map and see that nice kind of dotted circle? It's believed they came somewhere from there. Where exactly, we do not know, but then they made a trek of anywhere from five to, to 800 miles to come to Jerusalem. And so it is believed they came somewhere from from the area there. Many speculate, and I think it makes a lot of sense, that they came from Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Now, what happened, and the reason why this speculation is so, it, it seems to make some sense as you study the whole of Scripture. You see, Hundreds of years before that, Daniel and other Israelite children, and and men especially, but the people were exiled and they were sent to Babylon. And there Daniel was in the house, was in the courts of the king. And this happened hundreds of years before this. And you can even read, write down, encourage it, Daniel chapter 5. You can read the account of this, how Daniel was in the king's court. And he was seen as a man of great wisdom, but he was also a man of great faith in God and was powerful in the word of God and his understanding of the things of God in the word of God and so there he was and he was teaching those that were in in his sphere of influence even within the king's court they would come to him because he was seen as a man of wisdom his life his faith his testimony along with the guys in the fiery furnace Shadrach Meshach and Abednego who were also there had some major influence it is believed in their lives for the work and the call of God And so these teachings of Daniel and the life of the testimony of Daniel would have been remembered and passed down through the centuries. And so we know about these these individuals that came here to to Mary and Joseph and worshipped the baby Jesus. We believe that they were non-Jewish scholars. They, They were not Jewish people. They obviously studied scripture. They knew the prophecies that, I mean, you can even read one of the prophecies, one of the main prophecies about this in Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 24. So you might want to write that down and take a look at that, Daniel 9, 24, because there it is outlined that the Messiah would be born. It gives the number of years from a certain point. It will be 490 years from that. And so they had an understanding that, hey, this Messiah, this promised one that Daniel had talked about is about to come. 490, and they were counting down the days, or the years, I guess it was. But then they must have also known some of the writings from the Torah in Numbers 24, 17. Encourage you to write that down. Do a study on that this week. Numbers 24, 17, where it says, a star shall come forth from Jacob. So they knew the timeline was getting close. They knew that they should be studying the stars, that there would be a star that would be appearing. And so they were watchful. They were looking for this. And and so they studied prophecy. They studied the word of God. And maybe it was just done out of interest. Maybe it was just like, hey, this is kind of a cool thing. And, you know, they were scientists. They were, uh, the word magi even means that, that, that they were um, stargazers. They were scholars. They were, they were trained in science and philosophy, possibly in the king's courts. But more than likely, they were not kings. 
even though we sing We Three Kings. I guess it probably sounds better than We Three Magi of Orient are, or whatever it might be. And, and, and so we, we kind of take, an, and, and that's been changed a little bit. And, and, and so here we have these scholars who have studied the scripture, and they are seeing it unfold. They're seeing that God's word is reliable. And it's worth searching out. It's worth looking into. It's worth following. And we see here that the gospel is for all. Yes, Jesus came. Jesus was a Jew. Yes, he came for, for the Jews. And, and he came. And, and, and the whole reason, the book of Matthew, each gospel has a certain audience. The audience in the book of Matthew was specifically written for the Jewish people to understand and to see Jesus as the Messiah. However, this is kind of the cool thing about the book of Matthew. The first people who come to worship Jesus are non-Jewish people. The gospel is for all. It's not just for the Jews. It is for the Gentile. It is for each person. It is for every one of us. And, and bookmarked on that, you know, if you have a bookmark on, on, on one side of a book and a bookmark on the other to hold it up in place, the bookmark is for the wise men, for the non-Jews to come. And the end of Matthew, Matthew ch chapter 28, ends with Go and tell the nations. The gospel is for all the nations. So even though the purpose and, and, and the writing of the book of Matthew was specifically for Jewish people, it also shows us the gospel is for all. We see it starts out with come and see. Come and see the Messiah. Come and see Jesus. Come and, and, and follow him. Come and worship him. And it ends with go and tell. Jesus is for every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Jesus is for everyone in this room. Jesus is for everyone in this city, in this, re in this region, in our nation, and around the world. Even that jerk at work. Jesus is for that jerk at work that you just have a hard time dealing with, that person who makes your life miserable. He is for that hard-to-love family member, that, want, that person who cusses and mocks you out because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He is for the Syrian refugees coming to Canada and settling in other places in our world. He is for the members of ISIS. He is for that dear, sweet, senior person that you just love chatting with, but you know that they do not know Jesus. Jesus is for them. The gospel is for all. We are to share it. Once we've responded to it, we are to share it. And totally... Perhaps you're here today and you're not totally sure about the Bible. You're not totally sure about the claims of Christ. I would invite you to be like these wise men who lived thousands of years ago that came on this search and they found Jesus. They studied the scriptures. I would encourage you to study God's word. You will find that God's word is historical. God's word is reliable. God's word is trustworthy. Yes, the Bible is complex, but it's consistent in its teaching and its truth. Devote time and study and diligence. Start in the Gospel of John. Encourage you to start there and read about Jesus. A great place to start in the Bible isn't necessarily right at the beginning. I, although it's pretty exciting right at the beginning, you can get a little bogged down in, 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 in numbers and in Leviticus and, and some of that. Start in the book of John and discover who Jesus is. We have so much more than what these wise men had, and yet with their diligent search, they searched on and they found Jesus. Have you found Jesus? The gospel is for everyone. 
He will change. He will transform your life. He will change and transform how you relate to this, to people in this world, to people in your life, in your family. Have you started that journey of faith? Have you invited Jesus into your life or are you still exploring? This is a place we would love for you to continue to explore. We would love to be able to talk to you afterwards. We'd love for you to get connected with us and and we would love to be able to help you in that. You see, these wise men would find God's word reliable and trustworthy and sufficient and so can we. But it means that we need to study his word. We need to follow his word. We need to obey his word. And when that happens, watch out what you will discover. It will be amazing. The gospel is for everyone, so we are to share it. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you getting into conversations with about Jesus? I'm not saying that you walk around and walk up to people. Are you for Jesus or are you for the devil? I'm not saying you necessarily walk up to them, you know, or heaven, heaven. Or hell, what is it for you, my friend? You know, I mean, that could really kind of throw a person off. Turn or burn, after all. You know, I'm not talking about talking about Jesus in that kind of a way. But as you talk to people, as you get to know people, the coworker, the neighbor, the family member, that person who serves you coffee in a restaurant, get to know them. You'll find out very, very quickly the areas in their life that they are concerned about, that they're hurting and that they're confused about. Our world is full of fear and turmoil. Get people talking about what is going on in this world and you let them know you don't have to come up with all of the answers and, and, and pull out your Bible and, 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 and answer everything that they may have, but encourage them and remind them, I'll be praying for you. And actually do it, pray for them. Maybe you'll even stop right there if it's appropriate and say, let me pray for you right now. But pray for that person. Be studying the scriptures in regards to what they're going through. The next time you see them, get their email, their, their phone number, text message them, a scripture verse just saying, hey, this is something that God has laid on my heart. I want to share it with you. Start building that relationship. Let them know that you have trusted Jesus and they can trust the Jesus of the Bible, that he is trustworthy. Make one of the best investments in your life. Buy a Bible for a friend so that they can read it and start studying it. You want a real good investment that's not even going to cost you anything, take one of our Bibles that you have and share it with a friend. We'll go order more of them. Share the word of God. Share the truth of God's word with those around us. Who are you sharing? Who are you heralding the message of the gospel with? Let them know that you love them. Invite them to church. Invite them to the Christmas Eve service. Invite them out for a coffee, over for a meal. Get to know others and let them know that Jesus Christ is sufficient he is reliable he is someone that they can trust the gospel is for your neighbor your coworker, your family member it is for those in our city and around the world and that's why we serve that's why we love that's why we pray that is why we give that we can proclaim in a greater way and in even one voice as a church the message of jesus christ the gospel is for all we are to share it second of all we see here in this passage god is in complete control of all things and our response to him in that we are to trust him god controls all things trust him The very thing that is going on in your life today, God is in complete control. But it's up to us to trust him or not. It's up to us to cling to and follow his word. 
Either we do it or we don't. Look at in verse 2. It says, where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, we hear about this star, and then later on we see that the star reappears for the wise men, for the magi, for them to go to the house, and it settled right over the house. It led them directly to the house. This is some amazing star. And over the years, there has been great conjecture and wonder and, and guesses and, and speculation as far as what this star could have been. Some believe it was a combination of Jupiter and Saturn kind of lining up or a comet or supernova of some sort. And sadly, there are those who just think it's a fairy tale. There are even biblical scholars who just think it didn't happen. Nice fairy tale, just Matthew threw it in there. There's nothing to it. But folks, there's a danger when you start listening to kind of that kind of teaching and, 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 and understanding of God's word. When you start throwing out one part of God's word, you might as well throw it all out because anything is up for conjecture. If God put a star in the skies for these, for these magi to find the king, he can do it. He's in control of all things. So was it Jupiter and Saturn? Don't know. But God put a star that appeared, disappeared for a time, and reappeared for them. And led them over a journey of five, six, seven hundred miles. Led them to Jerusalem. They knew that they were to go to Jerusalem. And yet that star led them. Maybe through a safer path. We don't know. Here's the bottom line. God is in complete control of the universe. When you consider the works of his hands in creation... Psalm 33, verse 9, Hebrews eleven nine, 9, tell us that God spoke and the world was created. By his command, the world was created. He spoke this world into order. It wasn't evolution. It wasn't it from some big bang that started and then everything started to evolve? God spoke, the world was created. Believe it. Study the claims of Scripture. And when you consider, as you continue to read through the Genesis story, through Exodus, as you read through the Old Testament, and, and, and up until this time, Jesus hadn't performed any miracles, so let's just stick with the Old Testament and all that God has done. Creation, the parting of the Red Sea, the miracles in the wilderness, Jonah and the whale. How did that happen? I don't know. God did it. He said it. He did it. He even used a four-legged animal, a donkey, to get his message across in Numbers chapter 24. And you know how I know that this is true? Because God still uses two-legged donkeys, sometimes like me, in order to get his message across. God is a God who's in con control and he can do anything he chooses. He's in control of your life. He's in control of mine. Trust him. Nothing can stand in the way of the will of God. If he needs to rearrange some stars in the heaven to lead some wise men along the path, he'll do it. He can and he will. Trust him. Young people today, you are going to be throwing all kinds of lies and all kinds of philosophies from our culture today. God can be trusted. His word is reliable. God arranges circumstances even today in little areas and in big areas. Believe it. Oftentimes when we say the word, oh, it was just a coincidence. Uh-uh. Mm -mm. 
No such word as a coincidence, I believe, when it comes to a believer in Christ. It's a God incidence. God ordains. He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. He speaks and things happen. When people say, oh, what a coincidence. No, that's God. How you can be at a time in your life of of great discouragement or temptation and you open the Bible and right then and there he speaks in a powerful way through the passage that, that you are studying. Or you get that timely text message that the Holy Spirit, God arranged someone to start thinking about you to send a text message or email or a phone call to follow up on you and say, hey, how are you doing? And it comes just at the right time. Coincidence? No, God arranged that. I think of this summer just in a very specific way. I finished the service. We were still meeting at Dr. Knox School and, and it was one of those Sundays. The life of a of a preacher is weird. You can ask my family. I'm weird. I mean, any guy who has to stand up and preach in front of people like you must have a degree of weirdness to him, okay? And, and what happens in preparation and what happens afterwards is, can be very strange. And oftentimes, as preachers, as people who serve, and you'll find it in different areas of your life that, that afterwards you walk away and like, oh, that was awful. Like, I would have been bored if I was sitting in on that, you know? Or, or it was just like, oh, did, it, did anyone get anything out of that? And, and one Sunday, there was just, it was one of those Sundays where I just, I almost couldn't get out of there fast enough. Even though we had to do all the takedown, it was just like, this was just, it just didn't seem like it was just whatever. And I get this text message from a guy. And he said, my wife and I sat there on Sunday, or, or sat there this morning, and our jaws were dropped wide open the whole time. He said, we stayed up till 2 o'clock the night before discussing areas of life, areas of what we are to do, how we are to trust God. And finally, the husband, he just said to his wife, he says, we need to get to sleep. Let's just shut up. We're going to go to church. We're going to hear what God's word has to say to us this morning. And he said, you touched in your sermon on everything that we talked about and the question marks we still had, God filled in the holes in just a perfect way. So oftentimes, Sunday after Sunday, I hear people say, do you have a video camera on in our home? Do you have a microphone that you are hearing the conversations? Or, or do you have some sort of feed into my head? That is our God. That is the Holy Spirit. That is his word at work, arranging, rearranging things so that we can have an understanding of who God is. He is drawing us to himself. That is why we need to be in the word. That is why we are in fellowship. That is why we are in community in this kind of a way. God speaks. God is in complete control of all things we are to trust him. He's at work in the best seasons of our lives and he is at work even in the worst seasons of our lives. He can and still can he 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 will be and still can be trusted no matter what we go through. He is working even in the hard times, even in the good times, to bring forth Jesus in a greater way in your life and in my life. Romans 8, 20, 28, that passage in there, golden, if you are wondering about God and his goodness in your life. That all things, if you love God, if you have a love for God, he works all things out for your good. All that have been called according, he works in all things. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a point of just absolute, just kind of bewilderment and confusion in my own life and just not sure of just what the future would hold in areas of work, in ministry, and different things. And, and I went up, we live in the upper missionary, I, I took off 
up for a morning um, jog and, and just kind of just, it was a Monday morning and I was just walking around and I was just kind of going through this wilderness area and all of a sudden I came across this, this incredible picture, this incredible creation that was there in the ground. And right there at a time of, of just complete kind of distress and not sure of what, what was next in my life, I find this rock with this cross engraved in it. People have been kind of funny and they said, well, who would have went there with a chisel and, and, and hammered that? And I tell them, Jesus, when he created this world, he knew 6,000 or so years later that there would be a pastor confused and discouraged and wondering about everything that he even believes and understands and everything, just a time of difficult, just a deep, deep, dark valley. And he knew that he needed to place that rock in a burnt out area so that I would just be reminded of his goodness, of his faithfulness. Now, God speaks in these kind of ways, but the primary way that God will speak to you is through his word. The primary way that he speaks, everyone's looking for an encounter this day. They want to have this encounter with God. You want to encounter God? It's right here. He said it. He speaks. It's alive. It's active today. God speaks through his word. That became, for a time, a place for me to meet with the Lord. But it didn't become the ultimate place to meet with the Lord because the ultimate place to meet with the Lord is right here. In prayer. In worship. In adoration. In and through the word of God. The primary way that he guides us is through his word. It comes alive. You say, ah, God's word is hard. It's hard to read. Yeah, it is number of months ago in, 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 when we were at Harvest University in Oakville, James McDonald spoke and he gave these three words, encourage you to write them down. He said, it starts with discipline, desire, and delight. When it comes to God's word, we develop the discipline of daily being in the word of God. The best days in your life are the days that you're going to be in the word of God. The worst days in your life are going to be the days that you aren't in the word of God. You're still going to have bad days if you're in the word of God, but they're going to be good days because you are still in the worst of God. So your worst days can be your best days because of God's word. Make sense? Trust it does. It starts with discipline. And you push through that discipline of being disciplined in the word of God on a daily basis. Yeah, you're going to mess it up. There's going to be busy. There's going to be things that are happening. But get back to the word of God. And as you discipline in yourself, you, yourself in the word of God, it moves into delighting yourself in the word of God. You're seeing God's word come alive. You're seeing God's word speak. You're seeing God, God, God's word. You're gaining more knowledge in that. And soon that moves into delighting yourself in the word of God. That there's a delight that you can't wait to open up the Bible. Bible in the morning because you know God has something for you. Thus saith the Lord, and it's there. Discipline, delight, or desire and delight. God's word is faithful. God is in control of all things. Relationships, that marriage, your family, your kids, your grandkids, trust him. That business deal, trust him. That health issue, trust him. Your finances, trust him. God is in complete control. Our response, trust him. Trust him like the wise men. And thirdly, the gospel commands a response. And there are three different responses that we can have to the word of God. And I wonder today, what is your response to the gospel? 
what is your response to Jesus? The first one we see here, starting in verse 3, is hostility. We see King Herod, and he is hostile. We see a hostile reaction to Jesus even today. Right from the birth of Christ right into today, Jesus Christ causes attention. Don't be surprised. Don't be alarmed by it. For some, it's going to be an inner tension, an inner hostility. And others, it's going to be an explosive outward expression of hostility towards the things of Christ. Don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised. For King Herod, as we see here in this passage, and we study historical accounts of, of, of his life, and we see it even here, it was explosive. He was, it was also a deceptive hostility and that ended in a very violent reaction. You see, this Herod that they're talking about, his name was Herod the Great. Sure, he gave himself that name. He was the one that built the temple that was in Jerusalem. He is the one that gave the orders, poured the resources in it. Not because he loved God, but because he loved the praise of people. And he wanted the Jewish people to like him so much and to, be, uh, to have them on, their, on, on his side. So he, he poured this. This was the temple that Jesus went in. He went to the courts and when he was flipping the tables over, this is where Jesus went and he ministered. This is where went, Jesus went and he spoke. But Herod didn't build it out of love for God. It was to gain favor with the the Jews. He was not a God-fearing man. He was a self-exalting man. He was an evil man. He was a paranoid man. He would apparently dress up in disguise, walk the streets in Jerusalem, go up to people, find out what they thought of the king, and if it wasn't a favorable, favorable response, he would mark them in some kind of way. His soldiers would come and eliminate them. You don't like me? I don't like you. You're out of here, you know, and, and I mean, he was just this, he had nine wives. He killed at least one of them as well as at least three of his sons because he feared they were a threat to his kingdom. I mean, this guy was just, I mean, he was hostile. He was, he was nasty. And so when the wise men come and, and, and they come and, and they're looking for a king and, and, and part of the reason why we believe that there were more than and three is simply because they often traveled in larger caravans. We often think there were three wise men because there was three gifts present, but more than likely there was many of them. There was an entourage, maybe 10 to 12, plus attendant servants, possibly. Some even think maybe their families traveled with them to come and, and, and to find the Messiah. So we don't know exactly because it says here in this passage that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. If it was just three people, more than likely Jerusalem wouldn't have been in that much of an uproar to have three non-Jewish people showing up on camels. Again, we don't know if they use camels. They probably did use camels, but we don't know that for sure. Um, sorry if I'm just ruining the Christmas story for, for many of you. And, uh, but you know what? Let, let's, let's just go to truth and you can enjoy what you want to enjoy. But, um, but here it is. So, so here is Herod. He finds out these wise men, these magi from the east have come. They're looking for this king. Oh, the king you say. Well, tell me about him. And and. and because I would love to come and, and worship this king. And he's thinking, king, king of the Jews. Yes, I'd like to go and find him. Yes, I'd love to go worship him. And then I'll kill him. Because that's the kind of guy that he was. Herod wasn't interested in bending the knee. He was interested in, in getting rid of him. Because it was, for Herod, it was about king me. It was about me. It was about control. It was about what I want. And we even see, next, next part of this passage, he went and he even kills babies to get what he wants. Jesus brings hostility. Be aware of that. Don't be surprised. It happens today. 
Jesus is a divider of people. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus even said, this is the grown-up Jesus, 30, 30 years later, 30-some years later, I didn't come to bring peace, but division. And he goes on to say, families will be divided because of me. Brothers against brothers. And that happens today. You see that in, in a very graphic way in, in Muslim homes. If, if someone in the family who is a Muslim converts to Jesus Christ, by order and by rights, from their holy book, they are to kill that person. They have become an infidel. Jesus brings division. And yet, there are many turning their lives over to Jesus Christ, even knowing that it is a great risk. Even they know that they will be disowned. They will have their families turn their backs on them. They will be rejected. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, told his disciples, get ready to be hated. If you're going to be a follower of mine, you're going to be hated. There, there's going to be hostility. Take a stand for Jesus in the workplace, in the school, even at times within Christian circles, in a Christian family, even within a Christian church. Take a stand for Jesus. Take a stand for the word of God. Get ready. You could be ridiculed, maligned, showing the door. You may miss out on business opportunities, social events, because they see you as this Jesus freak and they don't want to have a Jesus freak. Even, even when some member of a family gets passionate about serving Jesus and following him wholeheartedly and not just in a half-baked kind of a way, that will cause hostility even within Christian hope. Jesus came and he caused division. We have to realize that. We're not looking for a fight. Not at all. In humility, we are to love we are to forgive. We are to endure. You see, part of the problem, and this is the problem with Herod, Herod didn't have an intellectual problem with Jesus. He heard the prophecies. He found out that, yes, there was this child that was born. Even today, people don't have an intellectual problem with Jesus. They have a moral problem with Jesus. Because Jesus is going to affect the way that you live. It's not about my way, my desire. It's about his. It's, it, it's marching, it's about living, marching to the beat of his drum, not to our own, not to King Meldon. Even though I would love to be king of my life. King of my life, I crown me now. You know that old hymn? Yeah, I just butchered the words to it, right? We sing, or would sing when the great old hymn, love, might be a great one to do sometime, King of my life, I crown thee now. That, that's singing it to God, but we often want to crown ourselves as the king. King at work, king in our home, king in the ministries we serve in, king, king on the roads. It's about me. He's the prince of peace, but he causes problems. He causes, he will bring division. Second of all, the next response we see, Jesus forces a response. For some, it will be hostility. For others, it will be indifference. We see here the chief priests and the scribes. These were the religious leaders of the day. They knew the scripture. I mean, King Herod turns to them and says, where's this king to be born? Boom. It's kind of like probably it was a big, you know, like, well, I got that answer. And maybe even squabbling amongst themselves a little bit. Michael 5.2. Michael 5.2. And, and no doubt they even quoted it because most of them would, would, would have, have the scriptures memorized. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. Michael 5.2. It says, oh, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you are no means at least the, among the rulers of Judah. Yes, Bethlehem. Yep, king's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew it. They pointed others to Jesus, yet they would not go themselves to him. They were five miles away, and yet they wouldn't travel to go find and to bend the knee. J.C. Ryle, 
great preacher that lived years ago, he said, there, are, there may be knowledge of scripture in the head while there is no grace in the heart. That's sobering. There can be a knowledge of scripture, a knowledge of Jesus in the head and yet no grace in the heart of an individual. That's a dangerous place to be. You can know the Bible inside of out, inside and out, and you can totally miss Jesus. Later on, 30 years later, so Jesus would say to the religious leaders in John chapter 5, he would say, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You see, for them it was about action, it was about activity, it was about knowledge. And he says, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You know the scripture, but you won't go to Jesus. You won't bend the knee. This is a message and a problem for people sitting in our churches today, around the world, in North America, in Canada, here in our city, perhaps even in this room. I said a prayer. I'm good. I was baptized when I was a teenager. I go to church when it's convenient, and you know I'm not too tired. And you know I, I'm more than a CEO Christian. I'm, I'm not like one of them. You know what a CEO Christian is? You know Christmas and Easter only. You know, and and I'm more than that at least. You know I, I go a little more often. You know I was baptized as a teenager, or or um, you know I give money, I serve, I teach, I lead, I know the word. You know I've studied it for years. I even went to Bible college. But none of those things make you a believer. You can have all of these things and still not have spiritual life. We come to Jesus by faith alone, in Jesus alone. Understanding the holiness and the power of our God and even understanding the wrath of God and understanding that we are sinners, but understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And it's understanding the gospel and it's receiving what Christ has done in humility and repentance and in appreciation so that we can approach a God who is holy. Because when he looks upon us, he doesn't see us as perfect people, but he sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ. And he sees his perfect son who is the perfect sacrifice for us. That's how we are saved. There are no marks of repentance towards towards the Lord oftentimes in our own lives. And, and if so, if this is true, this is a huge danger. If there's no pursuit of humility in your life, it's, if it's about me, about my way, my approach, no serious about submitting to God or, or to the authorities God has placed in control. If you are a believer in Christ, we submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives. To our government, we may not like it. We pay our taxes, we may not like it. We think we're getting taxed to death, perhaps here in Canada, not like other, pla- other places in the world. They're getting taxed pretty, pretty nastily. Well, in these days, it was believed that up to 75% of a person's income they were taxed on. Herod, Caesar, Temple, they would, they, they would give tax after tax and up to 75% of their income. I don't think we're not that bad yet. And even Jesus says, pay your taxes. We live under the authority that God has placed, the, the authority of God's word, the authority that he's placed in control of our nation, the authority that he has given in our church. I am under the authority. I am not King Meldon of Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. I am under the authority of the elders at our sending church. One day I'll be under the authority of the elders that, that will be appointed here in this church after a biblical process has taken place. We live under authority. We live in humility and obedience to the authority. There's a danger when there's no hunger for the word in our lives. 
There's a danger when we have stored up bitterness and unforgiveness and towards a brother or towards someone. And, and instead of pursuing forgiveness and pursuing God's grace in, in, in their lives and, and, and asking for forgiveness, we're harboring that bitterness. It's a danger when we don't confess and repent. When we just kind of just think, oh, God will understand. When we don't come to him in forgiveness and in confession. And when we don't go to others that we've hurt or wronged or harmed. When we don't have time for prayer, that's a dangerous place to be because we're basically saying, God, I've got this. I can, I can figure this out. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to learn from him. To be strengthened in and through him. It's a danger when we have no or little time for his word or for the people of God or, or, or no desire to submit in, in areas of serving God, in areas of finances. These are problems. And you say, but I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Really? How's it showing? There's got to be the fruit that goes along with it. We're not saved by our fruit, but genuine faith produces fruit. And we have to, that's why God's word throughout says, continue to examine your heart. To work out our salvation with, with seriousness, with fear, with trembling. Oh, may we not. It can be, it can be so easy. You, you start walking with the Lord and next thing you know, you can become like the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders that are unmoved by what Christ is doing. Just kind of got it. Just kind of in a, in a happy place with God. No, he... There's a desire to want to go further, deeper, more and more of him. So indifference is a dangerous response to Jesus. And then thirdly, response is joy. Third response is joy, and this comes about by faith. Genuine faith. Listen to this in verse 9. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. What a story. What a story this is of diligence and faith and, and, and pressing through the hard times pressing through, and, and by faith these men left, and perhaps their families left the comforts of home. By faith it cost them a lot of money. The gifts alone would have been very expensive. By faith they traveled hundreds of miles. By faith they put their lives on hold in their pursuit of Jesus. By faith they followed the star to Bethlehem to the house. By faith they, they continued even after the religious leaders were unmoved and Herod seemed a little shady and perhaps a little nasty. By faith they bowed at the feet of Jesus. Think about it though. How strange is this? Grown men... Going into a house, they were, Mary and Joseph, still, still in Jerusalem. We don't know how long. Was the baby a few months old? Some believe he could have been as, as much as two years old. We don't know for sure. And, 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 but how strange. Grown men, they come, the star leads them to the house, and it says they're filled with exceedingly great joy. They're rejoicing. They're pumped. They come in. They open the door, and it's a kid. It didn't matter. They bent down and they worshiped. How many of us would bend the knee to a child? I mean, pictures of two of our two-year-olds here in our church, if you want to put that nice picture up. I mean, how cute is that, right? I, I mean, 
but I doubt we're going to bow down and worship them as Messiah. I mean, parents do oftentimes bend down, but it's, it's to care for them. It's, I mean, cute kids, but usually at the age of two, they're still in diapers. And they're not talking very much. And, and these wise men saw this child on the lap of a poor woman, and yet they worshiped and confessed that he was Christ. They did it by faith. God blesses those that believe in Christ in this kind of way, by faith. He said in, in John 20, he says, Blessed are you who believe even though you do not see. They believed even though he was just a baby. They had seen no miracles. They had not heard anything but blah, blah, blah come out of the mouth. No teaching had yet come out of his mouth. Saw no signs of his divinity through miracles or anything like that. Yet they saw when they saw Jesus, when the star led them and God's word came alive in their lives, they fell down and they worshiped. I believe there's no greater faith than these men in the Bible. We can go to that last slide now. These guys should have been added in so many ways to the Hebrews 11 Faith Hall of Fame. I mean, this is blind, sacrificial, enduring, obedient faith. And the result? Joy. Exceedingly great joy. They came in faith alone. And this is the kind of faith that God honors even today. When we say, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him in this situation that I'm facing. I'm going to go to his word and I'm going to get to know the promises of his word so I can stand on with his authority, not just my speculation, but stand on the authority of God's word that he works all things for good. To know the promises and to know his instructions. And the result is that they are filled with joy and the result of obedience, the result of our faith is a joy that, that is unexplainable. Nothing that this world can give. And so I wonder today, what's in your heart today? What is your response to Jesus? What are, your, what are you searching for? What's your pursuit? Because whatever you are pursuing, it will show. It will show in your life. And if it's not Jesus, we need to confess, we need to repent. If you don't know him today, love to talk to you afterwards. Would love to be able to tell you how you can know him in a personal way. Love to be able to, to see you begin a journey of faith with Jesus Christ in his word. Will you adore Jesus this Christmas? Or will you just adore his stuff? In the last two weeks, we've been talking about how God keeps his promises. He will keep his promises to his children. He does. He's so faithful. He's such a good and a loving father but it means we need to be anchored in the truth of his word. The promise that he saves us, that he forgives us, that he makes us his child, that's, that's the most important promise. And then the promises that flow out from that is that he is sufficient, regardless of whether life is good or whether life is difficult. Will you come to him today and adore him? I'm going to ask the band to come up and lead us in a song of adoration. It's not a Christmas carol. Listen to the words that we're going to be singing and then the other song that, that goes along with this. May this be a declaration that, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, all ye faithful. Are you faithful today? Are you going to Bethlehem? Are you going to Jesus? Are you going to worship at his feet today? Are you going to worship 
in surrender, worship in obedience to his word. Father, we pray that you would accept our worship here today as a declaration of our love for you, Jesus, and our pursuit of you above all things. Let's stand together in worship.